Welcome to Big Blend Radio with your hosts, Lisa and Nancy, editors of BigBlendMagazine.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Big Blend Radio's Military Monday show. Uh, with every first Monday, we get to chat with military historian Mike Wardia. He's an award-winning author, as I said, military historian, U.S. Army veteran, educator, author of the year uh, by the Military Writers Society of America. And uh, I think it's over how many books now, Mike? And like, welcome, by the way, but 25. Mm-hmm. So one hmm. a year? No. That's, <laughs> That's not what's happening with you. That's pretty cool. 25 books. His latest is Coyote Recon, The Forgotten Wars of Colonel J.D. Vanderpool. The one before that is The Combat Diaries, True Stories from the Frontlines of World War II. He is also on the History Channel series, I Was There. And I believe more is coming on the History Channel. Yes, ma'am. So we have Military oh. Mysteries, which is going to be debuting. Uh, sometime this spring, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, that is a uh, show that's going to be on the History Channel focusing on you know, a variety of military operations that uh, were either mysterious in their conception or mysterious in how they played out or you know, the end result was just so far beyond what anyone expected that there's you know, more to the surface or there's more under the surface than really anyone knows what's truly going on mm. okay so mm. um more to the surface i want to yeah. know we just we just did a recording with you that aired on our uh big daily blend show on spotify so only on spotify every day it's there um you said you ran the steps the rocky steps you did it i did um mm. how did you do it like what is more like when people think they're going to do it like how like more to the surface how do you know you can do it like without throwing up halfway you know what i mean what do you we want a tip i know we're talking about presidential history but seriously this like rocky's a president right (laughs) president of the wbc maybe but (laughs) i'm just kidding kidding. hey nancy went to hypnotism class with sylvester stallone yeah 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 because he 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 went there because he think faster than he could speak mm-hmm. and that really helped him to to be able to hypnotize himself so he could gel two parts of his mind together mm-hmm. and um it seemed to really help him but he was he was pretty funny in class i have to say yeah i quite liked him Oh, of course you did. I know. Well, no, because he was very um, personable and not at all egotistical. And he really did. He really was trying hard to calm his mind down. So because he said his mind interrupted when he was trying to speak, his mind would interrupt with so many things that he he looked as if he couldn't speak, but he it's just that he had so much to say and and so he had to learn to calm down his mind so he could speak it's interesting I need, you know i need to go do that man yeah because i just try to get it all out 24 7 man i got all this but stuff you know but it's, a, it's 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 cool quite a lot of people quite a lot of people have um issues like that and they're quite it, hypnotism at least for him seemed to really work I wonder about that in martial arts. Like when you think about Rocky and you think about like the John Fla- John Claude Van Damme show, like movies, right? Remember those, yeah. Mike? Do you know which ones I'm talking about? Like it oh, was always about meditation, martial arts and meditation hand in hand, right? That yeah. if you got into that zone, you could do anything Focus. and you could kick butt. Yeah. So like, I yeah, know we're going to presidential history. We'll get there. Yeah. But I mean, isn't, yeah, kickboxer. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, like I know, but those like as a kid when we watch those movies, we're like, oh, we could calm ourselves, we can do this, we can make this happen. But it was about centering yourself 
And I wonder, and I'll get into that with presidents, but going up those steps, did you have to do that? Did you have to like get into the zone to go up those steps and not, or I mean, did you go all the way up? Did you stop? I want to know. Like, I. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, I was already excited to be there. And I mean, I was already in pretty good shape. I mean, I was in the military, uh, Mm. so I was already running a lot. And, um, you know, just I think the combination of me being so pumped up to recreate that iconic scene and uh, me um, already already being one who was exercising regularly, I think that just made for it to be a really pleasant experience. I mean, I, I, I remember when I got to the top, I was just really excited and I thought, hey, man, I'm uh, I. Uh, I think I've crossed off one of the ultimate items on anybody's bucket list. I ran the stairs at the Philadelphia art museum, just like Rocky Balboa did. Um, So, so yeah, it was, it it was, it was a natural high. And I I think it, in a lot of ways, it was, uh, it was, it was incredibly therapeutic because, Mm. you know, you just, you, you feel like you've become some part of, American cultural and cinematic history, if that makes sense. Mm. It's like, you know, That's I, interesting. Here, yes. It's like, I'm here at ground zero where Sylvester Stallone himself made this, the cultural icon, what it is today. And mm-hmm. you know, now I'm feeling like I'm taking part in it, even if, you know, it's been like, I think at that point it was more than, it, it was well more than 30 years after the, after the original Rocky had come out, you're just thinking to yourself, man, yeah, this is cool. I can, I, I can share in a part of this now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, you know, I think there's something iconic about that. And you think about Philadelphia, right? So much history, mm-hmm. you know, we've got Benjamin Franklin, you've got presidential history. So I'm going to go into that, yeah. but there's something about that. And we've talked about this on shows with you before about the importance of a president being part of the military because mm-hmm. it's something that you look up to just like Rocky, right? right? You know, like that's why I said it's presidential in a way, because you go like, he was such a badass. Like, you know, he looked at what he did, Rocky and John from down. I'm sorry. Like I had a crush on him when I was a kid. Like he was like, you know, anyway, he, you know, just saying he was. And um, when you think about showing what they went through to get there. And when we look at presidents, we want to know how did you get to be president? Did you fight or was it, you know, campaign contributions and all that political stuff? We really don't want to talk about. But if you actually did something and served in some way, that is to me very important. I think Nancy and I think for everybody in this country and and around the world for their presidents. Like right now I look at um Ukraine, wouldn't you think that Ukraine, uh, Ukraine's president is is doing the best he can in his situation? What would you think? Or should we not talk about that? I don't know. Well, uh, no, I think he he is he is doing the best he can. And, uh, you know, I think that he has done comparatively more than what most contemporary leaders either have done or would be willing to do if they were in the same situation. You know, I mean, uh, here was a guy who uh, flat out refused to uh, flee Ukrainian airspace, um, Mm -hmm. despite the fact that there were um, some within the international community who were urging him to flee Ukraine by helicopter. Uh, You know, so the fact that he stood there and uh, Mm -hmm. stayed and, uh, you know, is uh, very much involved in the in the day to day fighting and the day to day planning of the operations you know, I, I say that that uh, that puts him uh, easily in the top tier of world leaders throughout history. You know, I mean, you have people on uh, both sides of the conflict who uh, you know can give their who can give their opinions and analyses of uh, why the conflict started when it did, who was responsible, who said what, or who did mm-hmm. what. But you know, when you get past all that jawboning and you just look at yeah. the uh, men who are in the arena fighting it in real time, you know, the fact that the leader, like the president of Ukraine, uh, when you look at a leader like him, who is as involved and, uh, you know, has the amount of resilience that he does, I mean, that, that uh, that's, 
that's uh, certainly something that we can all draw a lot of inspiration from, I think, because, you know, if you look at, uh, if you look at other conflicts, uh, even going back to the latter part of the 20th century, you know, if, uh, if some, if some where, you know, if some place on the globe gets invaded, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, the high echelon decision makers are normally the ones who are either fleeing or they're being highly encouraged to flee and uh, carry on the fight by some mm. other means from outside the borders of uh, right. where the enemy occupation mm. is currently taking place. So mm. yeah, I, I'd say, uh, I'd say we, I say the world needs to pay attention and uh, you know, mm-hmm. maybe take a few lessons from what's happening on the ground. Mm. That's awesome. You know, yeah. that's, this is somebody who stands by his word. Like, mm-hmm. he, you know, for, I look at someone like that and, I would much prefer a president that does what he says he's going to do and he means it in his heart and soul and it's life is in it as opposed to someone who just talks about it. Mm. Yeah, exactly. I just, I have a lot of respect for him because he's, man, he's not messing around. He's in it mm-hmm. and he's living it. And that's a far cry from sitting in some fancy home talking about it. Mm-hmm. Well, so, you know, this is the thing about you saying about getting the boots on the ground, like getting in there. And that's where mm-hmm. I think we're, why we, I know it's President's, we, President's Day weekend coming up or President's weekend, whatever you want to call it, um, coming up. And, you know, Right now, politically, the country just, if you say president, I don't care what president you're talking about, we kind of have a, like, whatever, you know, so there's a, there's a frustration, obviously, right, across the country about what's going on politically and whatever, but Mm -hmm. I want to get to the the point is, like, we have real issues, we do have conflicts happening around the world and things that are threatening our country all the time, and we've talked about this, where it's really cool to have a president who has served, who actually understands the military and how it works. Um, and I think that even helps even with budgeting issues and um, understanding, you know, don't just throw money and not know where it's going and how it's going to really help. Like money needs to go in the right places. Right. Um, so when we look at presidents, you, I know you've got a couple you want to talk about. We all do. Um, but you you brought up JFK and the PT-109. Mm-hmm. So what is the PT-109? It sounds like a cool car. <laughs> Tell us about what the, what is that? All righty. So PT-109, uh, the acronym PT stands for Patrol Torpedo Boat. And, oh, not, uh, a cool it, it, yeah, <laughs> not a cool little car. Not a cool little car. Yeah. So uh, they were these uh, they were these um, small attack boats. Oddly enough, they were they were they were constructed mostly of plywood. Um, but they, uh, uh, they were smaller than a destroyer, but bigger than a uh, typical uh, fast attack gunboat. And uh, their, their primary mode of operation was to rely on stealth and speed. And what these boats would do is uh, using torpedoes as their primary ornaments, they would uh, sneak up on larger enemy ships uh, fire mm-hmm. off a few torpedoes and they would either disable or destroy the ship and then uh, sneak out under the cover of darkness and uh, try to escape detection. Uh, so PT boats, they served in all, all theaters of the war and uh, they were uh, most active, I think, and probably uh, this was the theater where they got a lot of the publicity was in the Pacific. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you had all, all, all of these patrol torpedo squadrons uh, that were scattered throughout the scattered throughout the Pacific Islands, and um, one of the uh, one of them just so happened to be PT one hundred and nine among the many that were operating there in the Southwest Pacific. And this was the this was the boat that a young Lieutenant Junior Gray John F Kennedy uh, found himself in charge of. Now, you know, despite all the health problems that he had, and despite initially not being approved for sea duty uh, through a roundabout way, he was able to uh, get approved to be the skipper of one of these PT boats. And, mm-hmm. and uh, as, as 
fate would have it, in the middle of 1943, you know, he's on a night patrol because these PT boats, they typically operated at night. Uh, he was on a night patrol looking for any marauding Japanese ships to try to torpedo, to try to destroy. And, uh, you know, as the, uh, as the other boats in the squadron, you know, scattered out along their, uh, along their patrolling and surveillance route, uh, out of nowhere, this one Japanese destroyer comes barreling out of the darkness and it's headed mm -hmm. right for PT-109. Well, JFK, for his part, uh, tries earnestly to steer PT-109 out of the way and try to line it up for a uh, shot, but uh, it's too late. The Japanese destroyer rams PT-109, it T-bones it, and splits Kennedy's boat in half. Mm, One oh half my sinks, and the other half stays mm. afloat. And, uh, you know, Kennedy is thrown flat on his back and, you know, he regains his senses very quickly, though, calls out into the night to see how many of his crewmen are still alive. And meanwhile, the Japanese mm. destroyer just steams off into the distance, uh, apparently unaware that it had just rammed an American boat. Um, but they found out wow. years later that the Japanese crew knew exactly what they were doing. Yeah. Um, so Kennedy, you know, he calls out into the night and of the uh, of the 12 crewmen that were supposed to be with him, 10 of them respond. So the other two were killed during the collision. But uh, he helps them. He helps the surviving crewmen back onto the one half of PT-109 that is still afloat. And, uh, you know, he's uh, yeah, he's taking his assessment of the situation. And he says, OK, well, you know, some of my guys are badly burned. I'm certainly injured right now. We have one half of our boat that's at the bottom of the Pacific right now. And I don't know how much longer this other half is going to stay seaworthy. So uh, the sun starts to come up and then off in the distance, he uh, spots an island. And, you know, just by his rough estimate, he could say, OK, I'm guessing that's about two miles out in the distance there. Guys, we're going to have to make a swim for it. And, you know, uh, most of the mm. men are in good enough condition to where they can swim. But there's that one sailor who's burned so badly that uh, he, he, he can't move at all at this point, even to save his life. And JFK says, well, hey, we're Americans. We don't leave our people behind. So what he right. does is um, JFK takes the man's life jacket, takes the oh. strap of the life jacket. JFK puts the strap in his teeth and he literally mm. pulls this guy yeah. through the water with his teeth. Mm -hmm. While he's swimming two miles out to this island, amazing. I mean, he's easily pulling a guy who, at least by you know, at least weighs 150 pounds at the lightest, and he's pulling yeah. him by the strap of his life vest in mm -hmm. his teeth for a two-mile swim in the South Pacific. I mean, that is a superhuman yeah. feat. If you pull that off, I don't care who you are. You are a Banff. Yeah. Really See, uh, I vote for him. Yeah. So, yeah. So Kennedy gets you know, all of this men to the island. And, uh, you know, so he, he gathers up all of his, uh, gathers up all of his folks and uh, says, okay, well, uh, you know, okay, what now, coach? So he swims oh. out to a few other islands and uh, doesn't have any luck at first. But then he runs into some of the native fishermen who travel between the islands in their canoes. And uh, he knows that these native fishermen are friendly towards the Americans. So, uh, you know, he takes a coconut shell, takes his knife, he carves a message into the coconut shell that says, hey, this is Kennedy, I'm alive. Uh, I'm here with the crew of PT-109. This native, he knows my position and he can guide you back here. So he gives that coconut to the native fishermen. And that native wow. goes out to mm -hmm. the naval base that's at Rendon he drops the coconut off and uh, they're like, Oh my God, Kennedy's still alive. You know? So that's how the, uh, that's how the rescue mission ends up happening. And uh, so Kennedy is awarded for valor. And, you know, oddly enough, this is something that I've always been fascinated by is that that coconut shell that he gave to the native Kennedy kept that with him for the rest of his life. And throughout mm. his presidency, that coconut shell was on his desk in the oval office. Mm. That's cool. Wow, I did not but know it, that. But it, it just shows so much heart and soul, and goodness and responsibility, and forward thinking, and that's what I personally want as a president. I don't want somebody who says they went to business school or they did this or they did that. I want somebody who actually did something. 
and shows who they are. And I, when you're looking at the military, I think if that's if if there's one place you're going to find out who you are, it's going to be in the military. Mm. What would you say, Mike? You you were in the military, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I I would. I would be more likely to vote for someone who had been in a situation like that mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know, just where they've been in a high stakes situation and they've been able to uh, they've been able to produce good outcomes from it. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, that to me means more than, you know, any, any degree from any Ivy league school. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. I think it, to me, I think about like, we have all these world, conversations, these global issues like Russia and everything. So yeah, so there's the business side, right? That is important. Um, oh, we got to watch what's happening with oil. We have to watch all these things. It's And it's a true thing. Um, but tactics, you just don't, You have, there's tactics in business, right? But there's tactics in war. It's not just like, just go blow someone up or just go do this. Mm-hmm. That word just, you know, just do this. Strategy. Um, yeah, there's strategy involved. I mean, think about when o- um, Osama bin Laden was taken out, right? Mm-hmm. That wasn't, how long did that take with strategy to do? A long time. And, yeah, a long time, right? You mm-hmm. know, it's not just, hey, and then, you know, you could have a president who has no idea about any of that and just says, oh, just, you know, go in there and blow this and that up. And not knowing, you know what I mean? That doesn't understand that strategy because maybe we're looking at business maybe we're looking at the environment which you know i'm hugely about but at the same time i'm going we've got to balance it all so it's it's important that um i don't know it's just important i think you understand strategy more when you're on the ground like you're saying you know being on the ground and or or in the boat right if if your chief job as the commander in chief you're going not to trying command to be political, our, but I am. No, but if you're going to command our our armed forces, I really honestly believe you should have served. Right. But you know something about what you're talking about. I don't know how somebody, it's like sending somebody in to bake a cake that's never seen an oven. Mm-hmm. You know, good luck with that one. You know, someone it, left the cake out in the rain. Exactly. So to me, I I just always feel like the people who run for office, especially when you get into the higher offices, should have served in the military because you are you- in charge of our armed forces. How can you be in charge of something that you don't know anything about? Do you think it can help to bridge the gap between parties if you've served? Uh, you know, I think it would help. I think it would go a long way, really. Yeah. Mm. I kind of think it does because I think that everyone claims something about military in their party, but it's like, you know what? Um, I've been there. I look at John McCain, right? Um, I know there was some bad stuff that was said by a president about John McCain. And um, that to me just, you know, John McCain served and he was Mm -hmm. in a POW camp. And to me, you should listen to him on those experiences that he had. And no matter what party you belonged in, you should maybe lend an ear to that experience, just like you should mm-hmm. any veteran um, who has been in a POW camp and served. And mm-hmm. so I thought he was kind of trashed and dis- dishonored, mm-hmm. but he yeah. still kept going. And um, I don't know. It's like when you go to vote, like you go, you know, this guy's been through real hell versus mm-hmm. half of America in some ways, you know, um, I'm not saying half of Americans have not gone through hell. We've been through hell in all kinds of ways. Everybody has a different circumstance, but being in a POW camp back then, that's hell. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I am, I am inclined to agree 100%, you know, it, it, uh, his experience as a survivor warrants a, a strong degree of reverence. And, you know, I, I think mm-hmm. it would have been, I, I think it would have been a lot more tasteful to, you know, say, 
well, hey, uh, we are remembering the legacy of a man who had a great amount of, he had a great amount of fortitude and uh, we admire his courage and we admire his patriotism. Uh, we may have disagreed on politics from time to time, but hey, you know, uh, no two human beings are going to agree 100% of the time on 100% of the issues. Uh, Exactly. You know, we still want to honor his legacy for what he's been through and what he was able to endure because, uh, you know, I, I, you know, who's to say that, uh, you know, who's to say that any one of us would have even handled it or could have handled it to the degree that he did, you know? Exactly. Yeah. You, know, you yeah. have to have some respect for those who serve. I, I just, Period. I don't know. Yeah. I, I get I know it's really hard about it because I think we get so um, flippant on our political ideals instead of actually hearing the story, really listening, and and we get emotionally charged. And I think that's one thing that is something that if you've served and you're in real battle, you're you do have that charge. Like you, you could charge yourself to get up that rocky those steps, like rocky, right? Mm -hmm. But emo and emotion plays in that, right? There's there's all of that stuff. But if you get emotionally charged too much, you can't focus and do what you need to do, the task at hand, right? right? And so that's what I feel our country is kind of going in that way, where we get emotionally charged because of what we think we want to know or know. And um, we become very biased over it's flippant. And when right. someone has served and been in war, you may want to step back and listen because and listen. at some point they knew real fear. They knew real courage. They knew all of those emotions, but it's a very strong emotion. And I'm not saying emotions are wrong. I'm not saying everybody has a different thing. Everybody has a different story. Absolutely. But when we talk about going to war to have a president that has been in the dirt Mm -hmm. seen blood, gone through it, seen what death is, you're going to weigh that trigger a little bit differently of when to pull it. It just is. You're going to weigh it differently. If you've been there, you may pull it quicker than somebody else. You may take it slower, but you've been there and understand that. And I think that's a, that's a thing. I want to go to George Washington. Since mm -hmm. President's Day was started because of him, by the way, got to mm -hmm. look at that. Um, and then, you know, we've got Lincoln in there, too. Who was the smart? Like, it would have been cool if George Washington and Lincoln just hung out together a little bit, you know. Like, I know, you know, I'm just saying. If, right. Like, if George Washington could have been working for Lincoln, it would have been interesting. Like, because Lincoln's kind of the brains dude. Washington was the let's go do it dude. What do you think? You know what I mean? Like, it would have made a good team. They would have been a good like couple, like to run a country with the yeah. brains, the smarts, the brawn, and strategy. Because Washington had strategy, didn't he? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I I think that uh, I think they would have made an, an incredible working team, and yeah. that actually reminds me of a uh, of a painting that I, I saw years ago, and I. I I was still in grade school when I saw it, but when I, I saw it, it really struck me as, uh, "Hey, man, that would have been epically cool if it happened." It was a it was a painting of George Washington and Abraham Lincoln shaking hands. Oh, and I, I, it was in the context. It, if I'm remembering the caption correctly, it, it was it was uh, in the context of saying, "Hey, the father of our country." Uh, meets the savior of our country, and uh, mm. we should thank these two guys for making America what it is today. Um, wow! Yeah, so uh, that's oh, powerful. You know, so uh, and that got me thinking. Even the young kid that I was at the time, I was like, "Man, what what would it be like if those two actually met in yeah. life and like like solved some kind of problem together?" I was like, "Man, it, it'd be like it'd be like that would be." Your the ultimate unstoppable force for good or something yeah mm -hmm. that would have been i mean because even in war and in strategy and communication and then if we had benjamin franklin hang in there too for communication right. then we, we'd have it made man 
you know, but so that's what's hard about it. It's like you have presidents that are really good at some stuff. I mean, in some that just, you know, ah, that's the hard thing. That's why I don't think it could be one, you know, when we look at leadership, it can't just be one person. Like you can't fight a war on your own. You have to have a team. Yeah. You know? Um Yeah. I mean, it's good that we're talking about all this with presidents and JFK and all these, you know, John McCain and no, he wasn't a president, but I mean, he was close, but you look at, they can't, no one can do anything without somebody helping somewhere down the road. Not one thing. I mean, there's some real heroic things that someone's done, but still you're not you there's no way you can ever claim anything as 100% your own i don't think in life no you know um you does, see so much as growing up wouldn't you say the military kind of teaches you that too well you, in in a way yeah well as a matter of fact i will say yes and no uh hmm. because um my experiences and i know that these experiences have been shared by others is that you know, on the one hand, there's there's an effort to try and instill a lot of teamwork. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's a, a recurring mantra that you'll hear throughout any number of the Army courses you go through about, about how to cooperate and graduate and that, uh, you know, teamwork makes the dream work. But at the same time, uh, you know, you, you always get those very skewed type A personalities who really want to hog the glory and, uh, you know, elevate themselves because they're, 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 they're too drunk on the power and they mm-hmm. want that self-gratification and they, mm. they, they need to, they need to satiate that feeling of self-importance and they do it at the expense of not only their peers, but those who serve underneath them. So you, you really see, I guess the broadest stroke that I can paint is that you see the best and the worst of humanity mm. at the same time, whenever you're in a military unit. Um, I, I think that's amplified more so just being really just being the nature of the beast. You know, the, the military is its own culture. It, it has its own dynamic and it, it attracts, it, it attracts certain personality types and certain personalities tend to thrive there more than they do elsewhere. Uh, but you really do see both sides of you really see both sides of the extremes. You see the uh, you see the push for teamwork, and then the uh, and then the uh, toxic uh, glory sometimes rising to the top. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we see that yeah, in business, right? But yeah, that's yeah. people. That's, that's just, people. That's people. Yeah, you see in, it in business, you see it in politics, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I have friends that went into politics, and they're like, "Screw it, I'm out. I'm out." Because no matter what, you're going to get your hands dirty, period. And, you know, dirty in that you have to get your hands dirty and then you lose your integrity. Mm-hmm. So that's a very, it's a very sad thing to see today that you actually can't just go run and do a good job as a public servant anymore. I think you know, you I, I don't think you can. a certain level. It's but, really you know, difficult. And then, yeah. And you have so to I, have so much money. But Which means this is you that start doing favors, you know? Yeah, exactly. And and so I have friends that just said, "That's it. I'm not going to go that far with this. I'll do my volunteer work. I'll do this and that." And I think we have to. I I think that you know, past presidents have shown us some good lessons, good and bad, right? Mm-hmm. George Washington, I think, was a badass. I know he owned slaves. I do not think yeah. that was great at all. I do not think it's. Of course cool. not. I don't. And none of us want that. Um, but history has that. And it's very difficult. And Mike, you teach history. How do you battle that ground of, okay, we still need to learn this stuff. And this dude may have done some really good stuff over here, but he was like doing this over there that we don't like. So how do we do that? I mean, even John Muir is not 100% cool because like we're talking about the human nature is not we're just not all that great people, you know, and yet we can be, we can achieve to be, we can try and do everything we possibly can, but humans are imperfect. 
Um, so how how did we balance this? Like George Washington had slaves, but then he was this amazing badass leader in the war. And, you know, same as Lincoln, Thomas Jefferson, all of these guys who really did do some amazing things, but at the same time did some terrible things by owning slaves, et cetera, on that level. Like, honestly, where do, how do we do this? Well, how do we... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The the thing that I that I have told any number of the students that I've taught in any number of the undergrad classes that I have directed, you know, is just to say this, look, we as human beings, we are fallen by nature. We are not perfect. Now mm-hmm. we strive to be good and we strive to have the good things we do outweigh the bad things, but you know you really can't get away from the fact that even people who do great things are going to be flawed in some form or fashion. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, nobody is perfect. The only perfect guy right. who ever lived, he died on a cross more than 2000 years ago. You know? So what we have to do is when we're studying history, okay, we have to take the good with the bad and we have to acknowledge that, yeah, there were good people out there who did some very questionable things, but look at the picture as a whole. Look at the outcome of the good things that they did. If we can mm-hmm. say that the good qualitatively outweighs the bad, look, let's not miss the forest for the trees here, people. You right. Know, let's focus on the good things that were done and that are the good things that were facilitated by this person. But yet at the same time, we can still acknowledge, well, yeah, you know, he he had these undesirable characteristics here. I mean. Because guess what? He's human. Now, let's acknowledge the characteristics, but let's not focus on, you know, that, that small speck that, or that comparatively, uh, you know, small speck of a character flaw and let that outweigh all the qualitative good that this person has accomplished throughout their lifetime. You know, that's not prudent. And if you do focus on that, then that tells me on some level, A, you lack empathy and B, you're just trying to do a hatchet job because you have some axe to grind and you have some unresolved, you know, emotional issue that you're trying to deal with. You know, well, you're not going to like anybody for yeah. you're just not going to be supportive of anyone. It's it's very it's you, very you know, difficult if you're looking for someone perfect. I'm sorry, it ain't happening. Well, right. because because I mean, every culture is own slaves. Right. Every single oh. culture in some place has owned slaves in some way. And I mean, even look what we do to animals, having lions in a zoo. OK, come on. Um, it's a slave, you know, animal slavery, you know, so it, it's we've all done bad. And I am not I, I'm sorry, but slavery was terrible. I don't know where that came mm-hmm. from, who decided that stuff. But that's some sick and twisted stuff trying to watch my language but it it's really hard because i think people have a right to be pissed about it and absolutely you know should but we should learn from it mm-hmm. you know we need to look at it we can't close an eye to it right so we can mm-hmm. look at the good stuff someone's done like thomas jefferson and look at the bad stuff and say okay let's learn from the good and try and emulate that in our lives and let's not do that over there. You know, that's kind of how I look at it. It's like that over there sucked. Now let's not do that. Let's not replicate that. And let's try and make some good on it and not, you know, we don't, we we can make some good over harm that has been done. I think we can, but I don't believe we ignore it. I don't believe we ignore history on either side, good, bad, or the ugly. And the reality is most history is gray. You know, know, I mean, there is a lot of great stuff about our history. You know, Mm -hmm. there's, you know, we have, I mean, like we can point to any time period in history and say, hey, man, this thing right here was a triumph of mankind. And you can at at the same point in history say, well, hey, here was this other stuff that was going on that was, you know, Mm -hmm. not at all, not at all acceptable. You know, I mean, society evolves and views change and people, you know, get a more, 
I'll say they get a uh, they'll get a more intense and a deeper view of consciousness and uh, you know a, a mm-hmm. strengthening of of their moral base. You know, mm-hmm. but and at the same time, we have to be we have to be uh, mindful that you know we're actually evolving and we are not devolving into you know mm-hmm. into uh, immorality that mm-hmm. is disguised as progress. Mm. No, I mean, I, I, I mean, even in the short mm. lifetime that I've had, I mean, comparatively short, you know, I, I'm, uh, mm. yeah, I'm, uh, I, I guess, I, I guess, I'm, I'm, I'm close to approaching what most generations would call middle age, but you know, stop it, Mike. Life- Just stop it. <laughs> don't use that. Don't. Funny. I don't want to hear uh, about it. Lisa, it breaks my heart to say it, but you know. I got don't tap, don't use yeah. the middle age. To, look, I don't want to go to the middle ages, right? See the middle age word, that term. Not oh, bit. listen, the middle, you know, we, had to, we didn't have, to, now we do. And so it's okay to be middle age because we have toilets now. So well, at the end, at the yeah, end of well, the day, at the end of the day, okay, you know, well, people. That is actually the prime of our lives. But I mean, like I can remember <laughs> things that were commonplace I can remember things that were commonplace and things that were acceptable mm-hmm. that in the nineties uh, that mm-hmm. are that are a taboo and a half today. Mm-hmm. You know, so I mean, those all of those micro evolutions are going to keep on happening. Mm. Um, I like know, that you say that micro evolution. Yeah, that's yeah. a really good point. Mm. Well, thank you. Well, we mature in our yeah. minds and our know, hearts uh, and souls at a yeah. regular pace. Some of us, some of us go the other way. You know, so it isn't surprising to look back at history and find all sorts of things that we feel is wrong. I think yeah, Mike is really we right were, about this micro yeah, evolution. We it's a Mike. Mike and well, his yeah, micro evolution. Because but this, we're just right. We evolved. Don't forget, we kind of started out as cavemen. You were more maybe. <laughs> oh, boy, don't start. We're gonna get no, trouble. no. Well, no. If you looked at how we lived when we first came here. Drop oh boy, whatever you want to say, people. I don't want to go there, but yeah, we're gonna get in trouble. We evolved, we have evolved over you know, over the years. With that, we've learned things and we've learned to be more empathetic and we've learned not to always be offensive and not to always be on the offensive. But, but we've also learned that, um. We have to be able to defend. And I, I always look at yes. the president's job. His number, his or hers, number one job is to defend this country. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know how to do it, I don't think you should be president. I, mm-hmm. I mean, it seemed really simple to me. And I'm sure people disagree, but it just seems to me I don't want somebody working on my car unless they're a mechanic. I'm sorry. It just seems sensible that if you're going to defend this country, that you have served. So you really know what you're talking about. Because I don't want a mechanic who calls in somebody else. I mean, I know they get specialists. That in would be a dealership. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. You know, it's. And also, you know, the heart and soul of somebody who has served is different than someone who just pushes papers around who hasn't served. The heart and soul. Yeah, the paper the, pushers. We don't like the, you. Yeah, no, the, the, you put your life on the line. I don't care what. I don't care. In defense what we're of something. About. You, yeah, but anybody I, who put your, is a paper pusher. No, no. But no, it's You're just, not living I'm life. Talk, the people who put their life on the line to defend something they believe in. To me, it's the kind of person that should be in office, not someone who happens to talk good, look out the TV camera, you know, always wear this color tie. Kiss a baby and and go hunt. Yeah, go kill an animal. No, I want somebody who's got some heart and soul who really believes in what they're doing. And that is, to me, what that's what. Yeah. True honor. Patron. These are the people who represent us. I don't want someone who represents me that doesn't have a clue um, and is Mike, out for their own glory. I don't want well, Mike, 
with what Nancy's talking about, and I want to go back to the microevolution thing. I think that is super freaking cool because I think that's just for even just day-to-day life, people can understand that, that it's not all in one chapter, right? Um, mm-hmm. But going to what Nancy was saying, I don't think a president necessarily has to have gone to war, but they actually have to understand service, right? right? Military mm-hmm. service. Like they could have gone through boot camp and served, but maybe there wasn't a war at the time. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Or they were maybe a mechanic on a tank or something. So um, I kind of want to clarify that part. What What are your thoughts on how far it should be for a president? I mean, George Washington... I want to talk, I want to go back to his story because that's where the badassery really started, right? As a president, um, as a leader, because it our country was kind of like founded on that, right? I mean, the Native Americans, this was their land first. And mm-hmm. so I just want to acknowledge them. And so we came in and decided to like bulldoze our way okay. through and then say, oh, British are coming. We're British, but screw you. Um, so can we go to... George Washington, what he did, and then go to now what Nancy's talking about presidents running um, and why it's important that they're in military service. So if we look at George Washington, our first president, as an example. Right. Well, you know, if you're going to be commander in chief of the armed forces, I think on some level you need to know what that lifestyle is like. You need to know what the culture is like and you need to know. Uh, everything that goes into what mil- what makes military operations are mm-hmm. what they are. You know, you need to know what's at stake. You need to know that when you give those orders and when you when you put somebody or when you potentially put somebody in harm's way, what the downstream effects of that are going to be. Because mm-hmm. once you have that understanding, it puts you on a metaphysical level that someone who hasn't served they just won't understand it. They, they, they won't be as in tune culturally as, as, as you are, if you have served and, you know, it's, it's really just a matter of experience. You know, you can't really know what it's like in the ins and outs of it, unless you've experienced it. And since, you know, being, being president carries with it such an enormous responsibility in that regard, um, you know, to have that level of, power and control over the military, you know, there, there has to be some military service there to begin with to have what mm-hmm. I would even call a baseline degree of competency, you know, and, and, and it, exactly. doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be somebody who was fighting in a foxhole on the front lines. It, it could be no. someone who, you know, served and wore the uniform and at least knew what the day-to-day operations entailed. Right. Mm. It's like going to the going to have surgery and the doctor says, oh, I've never done surgery before, but I got this great book. Yeah, I'm out. (laughs) Bye bye. (laughs) Seriously, you know, it's it's about really knowing and having, I don't know, the word, the passion to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know. Really, just having the technical know-how, you know, in in a lot of cases. I mean, I I wouldn't want to get on a plane with uh, the pilot who says, "Well, you know, I've played a lot of Microsoft Office Flight Simulator." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, I played Pac-Man. Yeah, oh, Pac-Man. I, I, I would. Been, I went on that Disneyland ride where you get to pilot your own little plane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. But okay, so. Can we can you tell people the story of George Washington? Yeah. Um, so he was a guy who, uh, you know, I mean, really understood military operations uh, to a level that uh, few of our few of our leaders, I think, ever would. Um, yeah, because long before the Americas um, were even talking about independence, you know, he uh, you know, he got his experience. Yeah, he got his experience in combat as a young 30-something, as a member of the Virginia militia in the French and Indian War. Uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, his expeditions into the wilderness and attacking and probing French forts 
uh, many historians will tell you that uh, he's pretty much the reason why the French and Indian War started. <laughs> um, but you know, oh, wow. a, a guy who uh, a guy who uh, who owned his skills in combat on the frontier. I mean, that right there was a a solid foundation um, upon which you know he could build and uh, grow as a military leader. And you know, separate and apart from that, um, you know, to uh, you know, to rise to the occasion when the Continental Congress appointed him commander in chief and to, uh, you know, uh, to be in the right place at the right time and, you know, to pull off these uh, victories against the British, which, you know, many historians to this day can only call a miracle, you know, that, uh, that, uh, that really is nothing short of amazing. And, you know, you want people that at least have some semblance of an experience like that. Now, you know, and at the same time, we have to admit that, uh, you know, George Washington did have his setbacks as a commander. As a matter of fact, the war was not going well for anybody uh, until the Battle of Saratoga. And that was in 1777 that that finally kicked off. And, you know, the, the, the outcome of the war was still in question, um, really, even mm-hmm. until uh, Cowpens in Yorktown. And, you know, it was after the latter, you know, that the British finally surrendered. So, you know, to, to be able to maintain that momentum, despite having those setbacks in the equation, I think is, uh, is also a mm-hmm. uh, testament to, you know, how someone can, you know, uh, learn from failure quickly on the fly while everything is still going at 100 miles an hour. Wow. That, that's a huge point. That's a huge point because life just, life is what's happening when you're busy making other plans. You yeah. know, it, that is life. I mean, failure leads to success, right? It, it's, yeah. um, and you've, you've got to just keep plowing forth and not drown in the failure. And it right. sounds like that's, he didn't allow that to happen. He didn't allow it to drown. He was like, no, keep going. Yeah. The only way is through. And yeah. so he goes, I, the whole thing with the French, I forgot all about that part of his history for some reason. I don't know. It just, I did. But then he, I mean, he really persevered beyond that. So that's, so that's where he started. I mean, it's an interesting time because we were just becoming a country at that point. We weren't even quite, I mean, we're still just running around going, we're trying to settle. The Indians are here. What are we going to do to them? You know, that's really how we were, right? Um, and there's a lot of, it seems like it was a lot of fear going on, you know, prior to the Revolutionary War and the British. And, you know, when you're talking about the French and the Indians and everything, there was a lot of fear because everything was new in this country to those who had come here other than the indigenous people who knew the land. There was a lot of fear from the white people, basically. and that creates even more war, doesn't it? Fear? Well, it can yeah. do. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, fear can lead to war, um, you know, and history certainly bears that out. Um, you know, fear can also, I mean, a healthy, I think a healthy dose of fear can sometimes yeah. lead to- Save your ass. <laughs> uh, can, well, I think it can, I think it can avoid catastrophes and it mm-hmm. can- and it can also uh, prompt um, good um, outside of the box thinking to create long-listing diplomatic solutions mm-hmm. to things. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, fear. I think I think you're right. I think the I think the right amount of fear and loathing uh, has has historically led to um, any variety of wars happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Huh. So George Washington was our first dude. He really was. And then tell tell us about the story of him riding on the Revolutionary War. Didn't he do like some big ride that kind of put everything in perspective? Like when he first got. Uh, do you, you know what I'm talking about? Paul Revere. I think you're talking about Paul Revere. This is yeah. why we need a history teacher on the show. <laughs> Yeah, well, Listen, um, I, I was raised in South Africa. I'll tell you what happened okay. <laughs> with Shaka Zulu. Okay. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's 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 all my history. That's where it starts yeah. and stops. No, but it is Paul Revere. You're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, but okay, so that's not presidential then. I thought mm-hmm. I thought George Washington did a famous ride. So I'm 
uh, yeah, I got my history mixed up. Sorry. That's funny. Well, well, what was this? Well, tell me the story. What is Paul revealed? Oh, so why? Oh, I have to go back east. See, this is the okay. thing. Paul sure. Revere is going. The British are coming. The British. Yeah, but yeah, I thought George Washington did some big fancy ride and did something to save us the same way, like the same kind of story as Paul Revere, but I got him twirled around. That's okay. I'm allowed to be, you know, mistaken. I am human. See, yeah. but I'm not running for president. <laughs> You're all saved. <laughs> so, Mike, which, which story is it? Like, it didn't, I well, thought George well, Washington did something like well, that. He gave a very uh, stirring um, inaugural address and uh, also a departing address. Uh, you know, when, when he, um, when, when he became our first president, he, uh, he set a lot of traditions uh, that have since uh, been carried over by every other president since. I mean, I mean, it's it's nowhere written in the Constitution that a president has to give an inaugural address, but George Washington started that tradition, and every president mm. has done it ever since, uh, swearing on a Bible and uh, when after taking the oath saying, so help me God, that uh, mm. those are all, all of GW's doings. Mm. Um you know, he also warned uh, about the dangers of political parties. He said, look, you know, uh, you know, uh, we, we've seen party politics in Europe. We, we saw it with Great Britain. Let's not make the same mistake they did. Let's just rule based on good old fashioned common sense. But, you know, we, we saw how well that's turned out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, Thomas Paine, look at him with the common mm-hmm. sense book. Right. Oh, my gosh. I think Thomas mm-hmm. Paine is interesting as heck, too. Yeah. Um, but then I don't know who Paul Revere is half the time, right? So no, but I'm just kidding. But so but Paul, okay, can you just tell me tell me the Paul Revere story, please? Okay. Because now it's gonna bug me all night and I'll have to Google right. it. And it's not uh, as cool as Mike Guardia telling the Paul Revere story. Yeah. Well, actually, there's an even cooler rendition. I believe it was uh uh Henry Wadsworth Longfellow who did that Paul the thing, or he, he did that poem, uh the uh the famous ride of Paul Revere. Actually, I don't know if that's the title of it, but he did write a poem about Paul Revere, and it's that one. It's even been made into a few children's books. It's like, you know, come ye children and you will hear the midnight ride of Paul Revere. Paul Revere, and, yeah. And uh, yeah, it tells about it tells about Paul Revere getting on horseback and uh, mm-hmm. riding throughout the countryside and the streets, you know, saying to arms, to arms, the British are coming. That was a clarion call that's right. to the Minutemen uh, to, mm-hmm. to get their rifles and, uh, you know, stop the advancing British. And Paul Revere was going to make that ride. And he was waiting for a uh, he was waiting for a signal from the clock tower. There were going to be uh, it was going to be a lantern signal, and the uh, and the the person who was in the belfry was going to have was going to have a signal one if by land and two if by sea. Two if by sea, yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know, so then after after getting that signal, he that's when he went on his ride and you know rallied the Minutemen uh, to you know to uh, to take up their arms. So without giving too much of the story away, uh, that'll be the uh, that'll be the teaser that I give. And mm. um, yeah, there's a uh, th- there's a number of uh, there's a number of children's book adaptations of that poem. And uh, yeah, even quite a few interesting YouTube videos that you could do in that regard. Well, thank you. Yes, I do remember now. Like I thought for, I don't know why I got Washington mixed up with that, but I did. And that's OK. And at the same time, I thought John Adams had to do with something with that ride. I don't know. I, I thought John Adams did a big ride. I think maybe everything was a big ride back then, right? Yeah, you thought of course, back in the winter. Ride. Yeah, I think I did. I don't know. It's like, I don't know. It's like everyone is always on a big ride somewhere to go save the day, yeah. you know, but that's the way life was then. Mm-hmm. We, now we just get in a car or like in, in Mike's instant, Mike gets in a tank. <laughs> but you know, it, oh, and we've seen some tanks lately. Oh my gosh, Mike. Okay, we we have to have tank talk at some point. We have to do that. Hopefully, we will see you soon. But Mike, again, thank you for joining us here on Big Blend Radio. I know we always go into the deep end, don't we? But today, I think you know we've you can't talk history without the present, and the present doesn't exist without the past. So this is what is so important about what we talk about. Um, 
and looking at history is always important and what people have done in the past for where we are in the present and hopefully continuing to be free in all regards. Freedom is a big word, but it's also a life. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's not just another word. It isn't. Even if Bobby McGee, that song says freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. No, that's not true. Uh, so everyone, Coyote Recon, The Forgotten Wars of Colonel J.D. Vanderpool is out now by Mike Guardia. Go get it. Mike, what's next? I know you're working on another book. I know it. I can feel it. 26 is coming. I feel it. I feel it. The earth well, is shaking. Uh, juggling, uh, I'm actually juggling uh, a few different projects at the moment. Uh, so it just it, it's a question of which one of these will be 26 as a function of which one I finish first. <laughs> oh, um, but uh, yeah, I, I will let two out of the bag. Um, one is a story involving combat engineers in Vietnam, and the other is on the spy war in Bosnia during the mid nineties. Dude, Ooh. man, wow. you're getting into modern history. Good stuff. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. Everyone, MikeGuardia.com is where to go, and keep up with us at BigBlendRadio.com. Mike is here every first Monday for our Military Monday show. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you, ladies. Always a pleasure to be on the show. Take care.